Hey guys, welcome to another Cup of Nurses episode with your hosts Matt Solarczyk and Peter Fendero. This is episode 14 of, we're going to call it from now on, C19 because we keep getting censored off the internet. So we're going to refrain from calling it the, that viral infection. And just in case if something were to happen, me and Peter came up with freaking names so you can find us on a different passport. I'm going to be Matsu Suli, and Peter's going to be Pyongfin. So if we disappear after this recording, you know where to find us. We're going to be another country with those names. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. We really appreciate, appreciate you guys. Those that like, subscribe, thank you so much. Honestly, July was a freaking rocking month for us. We had an all-time record of listens, downloads. We really appreciate that. As you have heard for the past episodes, we're still working on things and we are staying productive. So soon to come. Anyways, PD, how you doing? I'm doing good. I was, I woke up, let me get started. I woke up late, did not do what I wanted to do today, but I did go for a run. Um, the reason I went on a run, I didn't feel like going on a run. And then you told me you're going on a run. And I was like, no, I'm going to go on a run and I'm not going to go on a run. Would it, wouldn't it be a great day, huh? It wouldn't be a great day because... Like, I feel like if I don't work out, I feel like I'm missing something the other day. Yeah, I mean, and, it keeps me sane. Yeah, and it's nothing, doesn't have to be any kind of crazy, strenuous activity, just something small. Like, I ran for what? According to a root band, it said that I ran for 16 minutes and 41 seconds. And that's enough, and I feel already so much better. Like, now, God forbid I eat a cupcake, I'll, I'll feel less guilty for, for eating it. And it's just, like, give you a little bit of a sense of accomplishment because you set a goal and you basically did it. Of course, I missed my other three goals that I wanted to do today, but at least I got that got that one in. But I, I've been doing pretty good. Um, back to working out slowly. Gonna start light, light duty here in a few days, so we'll just see how it goes. Weather's nice. Um, working on a bunch of stuff, like Matt said. Very busy month for us. Gonna be a very busy 2020. But, but yeah, we have hit the 7K listens right so okay downloads so thank you guys for that man thank you very generously and we still got a lot of stuff coming out for you guys we still got the NCLEX study coming out we got courses coming out soon we're gonna start a nursing vlog soon we're gonna travel nurse soon everything ends with soon in this episode yeah and yeah and that's, that's about it i mean c19 is still going around a lot of debate on how we should tackle it where we think it's going to be are the measures we're taking are are they appropriate are they beneficial so we're going to discuss a little bit about that for you guys today. How are you feeling today, Matthew? I'm good, man. I'm actually pretty pumped. Um, we're going to go smoke some meat later after this, so I'm excited. I kind of like the old school traditional ways of doing things. I like learning how to like, you know, I don't want to say cook. It's like it should be standard practice, right? But anything to, like painting, remodeling, like I, I love learning those things. And today we're going to go smoke some meat that's been marinating for over four days. So we're going to see how that turns out. Yeah, and it's cool they brought up our code names. We created code names when they were bored. Yeah, and that's the code names that we use, Matsusuri yeah. and Pyongfin. Yeah, when we sign, my signature is Pyongfin from now on. Okay, let's roll with some cases here. All right, guys, so you know how we like to do it. We hit with the stats first. So globally-wise, almost 18 million cases with death toll. Percentage-wise, not very substantial, but numbers are pretty big. So 686,000 deaths worldwide. In the U.S., Top five states with cases is California, number one, with 500,000, with that having 9,000 deaths, roughly, plus or minus 2K, you know. 
Flores up next with 480,000 cases and 7,000 deaths. Then we have the great state of Texas with 445,000 cases and 7,200 deaths. Joe Rogan's moving there, by the way. Maybe we should move there, too. Maybe we'll travel nurse there. And then we have New York at 444,000 cases, 32,000 deaths. And then Georgia has surpassed New Jersey in cases, and it's at 190,000, with death toll being 3,825, to be exact. And it's crazy to look at it. Like, New York still is up there, but their deaths are so much higher than all the other states. Even though their cases are above California, you know, but their death is totally so high compared to it. Percentage-wise, it's not the worst thing ever to, to hit the United States, but you know, people are dying, and every death that, she, that is preventable should be prevented, and no one should be dying of this anymore. If there was, if there was a cure, I mean, if there was you know, a cure, yeah. Interesting. What's happening is uh, there's a lot of debate between um, hydroxychloroquine and um, remdesivir. So we found a bunch of research studies that we're going to touch upon, and a little bit of points. Um, but the FDA in March signed like an emergency order to start stockpiling this in the United States, and then in June they overrode it, meaning we don't need to store hydroxychloroquine anymore. And there's been a lot of debate whether it works or not. You've seen that doctor on the internet that was speaking about it and got censored and all this stuff that's happening. And we're going to give you guys the facts of what we found based on research. Yeah, but this is just like the national stockpile. So we do still have a lot, a very big amount of hydroxychloroquine. It's just that we're not stashing it anymore. Yeah, it's not an emergency. And um, the FDA commissioner, Stefan Hahn, kind of spoke about hydroxychloroquine. Someone asked him. And long story short, he said that the doctor needs to assess the patient and based on the data that's out there. So the FDA does not regulate the the practice of medicine. So this is the relationship between the doctor and the patient. And that's where this decision should be made. So I'm glad that they're not like banning it on a like, you know, federal level or something. Let the doctors decide based on research. A lot of people say it doesn't work. We kind of looked at it the other way. But there's... Me and you always like to look at like the agendas or what's up with pharmacy. So we looked at price differences and, you know, maybe we, we went down a little rabbit hole to see who's, well, before, who's funding G Lead and stuff. Yeah. But I don't want to touch about it right now. But yeah, well, before you, you go into all like the costs and stuff like that, like in the hospitals, we do have protocols for, for certain diseases, like the sepsis protocol. We have different protocols for STEMIs and STEMIs. But just because the protocols are there, doesn't mean they fit every scenario, every picture. And same with like your medications. You know how we hear one medication is contraindicated if you're on this medication. Well, in a hospital, you know, just because on a social standpoint or outside a hospital standpoint, these medications are contraindicated being taken together in a hospital, we still might give them to you together. We might kind of bend the rules a little bit or go against the rules because just because we have one way of looking at a disease and one protocol and one kind of management protocol to do these do these um, treatment plans it doesn't always fit every individual we are all different and that's kind of scary thing that we're not robots it's not like you go to a mechanic and you know your car's making making this sound so it's a carburetor and then it's always a carburetor which making this sound it's not how it is with humans so that's like the main thing that we want to get a, get a, or one of the main points we want to get across here is that we're all different the protocols might be geared towards a majority of people and it does work for majority of people we still can't 
push the outsiders even if even further or the outliers. We have to do something for the, for those as well. And this being a, a novel coronavirus, novel meaning it's well, new. What did you just say? Novel. C nineteen, bro. Damn it! Stop this episode right now. I know. No. Let's so continue. this being a novel C nineteen is it's new. So we still don't really have any kind of treatment protocols set in stone. Like the sepsis protocol or the enstemi protocol or something that's coming in with you know different kinds of traumas things like that so everything is kind of up in the air still even though it's been going around for what six months people say it's been around for a year you know eight months it's, we still don't know what the hell to do with it exactly and just like you know they're saying which drug is more effective right plaquil or remdesivir well if the patient has you know um ventricle arrhythmias well maybe let's lean one to another you know so we can't cross out one drug and like use all this like you know bashing on the internet that it's bad but if you look at the cost difference a hundred pill supply of hydroxychloroquine is about 37 dollars and that's cash that doesn't include insurance money 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 which is not bad you know 37 bucks cash i'll take it i'll take a pill uh, I think Trump said that he was taking it like once daily or something that one doctor said all it takes is once a week to maintain a dose um, the mechanism of action is still kind of unknown, but it works on um, inhibiting the hemi of the um, of the parasite when it was uh, working on malaria. When it comes to C19, they're still not too sure. We actually talked about the effects of hydroxychloroquine on COVID-19. There were three mechanisms of action that were debated and we actually went, out, went over on one of our episodes. Okay. So if you guys want to take a look at it, just let us know what number it is and we'll provide a number for you. Or just, you know, listen to all 13 of them. You know, they're all good. They're all, they're all definitely good. Uh, and then now we have Gilead, which uh, Monday they announced that remdesivir is going to be priced at thirty-one twenty per patient treatment with insurance. So we got a drug that costs, you know, let's just say less than 100 bucks. And then um, Gilead here is announcing it's going to be over $3,000 for a patient with insurance. If you don't have insurance and you want to get the full treatment vials, it's going to be three ninety per vial. The course is six vials, and that's still a little bit over two thousand dollars that you're paying, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. Like some of these drugs are funded by our tax-paying money, mm-hmm. and yet after we fund these drugs and you know they get their tax breaks, now we have to suffer and pay the consequences of high amounts of um, of prices for them. So it's like. I feel like it's deeply immoral what's happening, you know? Yeah, it's like the cost is, is through the roof. We've talked about the pharmaceutical industry for from handful episodes. Yeah. Bunch of them. We even broke down the pharmaceutical industry and on how they make drugs and how they profit on episode way back when, like when we first first started. And this thing's still happening. Like people are gonna take advantage of, of every situation. Not not I'm not saying that Gilead is, is bad for, for doing this, but there has to be some kind of measure to limit these kind of these inflated costs you could say because they're saying that it's going to be around 3k per treatment right but when we look at the research there's really no like foolproof treatment plan yeah. there's a five-day one from remdesivir and a 10-day one from remdesivir is 3k for the five-day one or a 10-day one nobody nobody specified yeah. if it's a, the five-day one and research shows that the 10-day one's better guess what now that's going to cost you 6k it's basically double whatever um the five-day dose was Right, and it's unfortunate how this happens because if if this does work, you're gonna limit on who's gonna receive this medication. Of course, you're probably gonna have you know the government pay for most of this so that the people could receive this medication. 
but that's going to be something that we, we taxpayers have to pay for again in the long run. Not, we're not only have to pay for discoveries of medication, but we're going to have to pay the later costs associated with us, I guess, borrowing this medication for now and paying for it later. Yeah. You could say it's, it's crazy. So, but we'll see what the research shows. And it's still, what if it, you know, what if you pay all this money and then in two or three months, they say hydroxychloroquine is just as good. Or they say that, hey, there's a different medication that's even better. Then your kind of money goes out the window, right? It's kind of, that's kind of how it is. You saw that how it's over with, with hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine was a, was a gold standard mainstream from like February up until now. Yeah. Up until like, like mid-July. And now remdesivir is a standard. So what's going to happen in the next four months? Yeah. And you have to, you know, we have to keep in mind is there a money motive, you know, because if I'm the head of this company and I know a couple doctors, you know, like Fauci and we kind of, you know, we kind of invest in some stock. Well, of course, man, I like this drug. Let's do this. Let's get a couple of um, universities to conduct some research studies. And we looked at these research studies. Some of them I was just kind of like. I was honestly laughing that this is, and I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I could read a research study and I'm mm-hmm. like looking at it, I'm like, how can they say this is the conclusion with like some skewed ass information? They're not even testing these patients if they're positive, potentially might have symptoms. Like there is no significant control group to even make an assumption of this, you know, but they're just making assumptions because we got to publish something and I'm sure there's some kind of peer pressure on releasing C19 research studies at the moment. Yeah. And some of these, these like mainstream reports and research studies that you, that you see that are like, um, are experimental research studies. So there's like a placebo and, uh, the medication, there's a treatment group and there's a control group. A lot of these are actually created by Gilead. So they're the ones conducting this, these trials, these research studies, and their medication that they're producing. So there's also that conflict of interest. Conflict of interest that arises. And I'm not saying that there is a conflict of interest because I'm sure people that are proponents of hydroxychloroquine did the same thing. There are research studies out there that are funded by manufacturers that create hydroxychloroquine, and I'm not saying they're screwing the results. The issue with remdesivir is that the only person that owns remdesivir and the formula for remdesivir is Gilead. And they're not gonna let anybody else conduct research studies with it because then they're giving them access to this medication. Somebody could steal a pill and give it to a different manufacturer, and then the manufacturer could, you know, replicate this, yeah. this pill. So there's there's also that issue. It's very it's a very gray area on how things are gonna be going right now, especially with pharmaceuticals and how because there's always been a gray area of pharmaceuticals, and now there's even a bigger gray area of pharmaceuticals. Because like Matt said, with the cost of three K, and that's for us as citizens. You know, you gotta realize that U.S. dollar is the second strongest currency in the world. Is Africa is somebody in Africa or somebody in Europe gonna have to pay double for that? You know, I know Europe has euro, which is valued more than U.S. dollar, but other countries that don't have the euro, how much money do they have to give up for it? Like, yeah, it's cool that Remdesivir is gonna be accessible, and I guess they call it affordable for us. But what about the rest of the world? Yeah. You know? Next drug that we kind of looked at that they're doing research studies on for C19 and its effectiveness is Decadron, and it goes by the name of. Dexamethasone. It's a corticosteroid. I have given it in the hospital plenty of times for severe inflammations, uh, especially post-op. If you get any kind of brain injury, you have a craniotomy, they want to prevent brain herniation and they want to prevent brain edema, swelling. So we're going to use a steroid. And this is a study that was published from the New England Journal of Medicine. And I like the numbers. They had about over 6,000 patients total 
2,000 patients were signed to get Decadron, 4,000 um, were receiving usual care, and these are all C-positive patients. And the goal was to assess mortality rate within 28 days. What are the chances of survival within 28 days? What they showed from this um, study is that patients that were receiving mechanical ventilation, meaning they were intubated, they had a higher chance of, or lower mortality rate from 29.3% to 41% of those that didn't receive it. So pretty staggering evidence, and which makes sense because if you're intubated and you have this you know, viral infection, you have that cytokine storm, you have sepsis, you have probably multi-organ failure, and Decadron is a freaking powerful steroid. It's gonna help prevent any more um, autoimmune attacks technically with that cytokine storm that's happening. Um, the next one that they tested was just patients receiving oxygen without mechanical uh, ventilation. And they saw a 23.3% versus 26.2%. So still, yes, mortality rate was a lot lower for those that were receiving Decadron while they were getting oxygen. And then the patients that were receiving no uh, respiratory support, they didn't really find any evidence that Decadron helped, which makes sense because it kind of shows you that, hey, if you're receiving oxygen, there's already so much things happening in the human body. So I like that this evidence showed this. Maybe we're going to be giving Decadron prophylactically. I didn't personally see it when I was working, but I've been out of work for a month and a half now. So I don't have that, um, you know, evidence of what's happening on the clinical level to tell you guys about that. Yeah, I think the discovery of like corticosteroids, different kind of steroids, not necessarily anabolic steroids, but steroids like this, like prednisone, any kind of drug that ends with zone is going to be some kind of a steroid. But the discovery of, of this drug was very drastic to, to medicine. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I love steroids. Like not, not anabolic steroids, but these kind of steroids because steroids are really effective, they're really safe, and they don't really have a lot of reactions. People that get reactions to steroids, like prednisone, things like that, they're on it for a very, very large, large amounts of time. If you're on like a tapered dose, if you're on a, on a dose because you're really sick, you're not gonna really have any kind of adverse reactions to it. You're not gonna get that, get that Cushing syndrome, that Cushing phenomenon that people associate with prednisone that you might have learned in nursing, nursing school. Those are for people that have used steroids for long periods of time. Yeah. But for general public, and then when you're acutely sick, these do a wonderful job. I got them. I got bronchitis twice in my life, and I got prednisone twice. Twice, and it literally that plus a literally made me feel so much better. And just it was a five day taper dose or whatever the, the dose was. But these are very magic, almost like magic drugs. They work so they're always they're so safe to give, and they legit work for like an anti-inflammatory standpoint. They do. They do. Yeah. And the only like side effects would be, you know, at risk of infection and higher sugar levels for those that are diabetic. Yeah. Long story short, the way that the study was conducted, they gave six milligrams of uh, Decadron once daily for 10 days. So that's how they concluded that research study based on the results that I um, told you guys. Yeah. So for like mega standpoint, steroids given for COVID-19, I mean, if Personal opinion, they're probably more beneficial than, than harmful. Cup of nurse is approved. Yeah, cup of nurse approved. We should have that money sign. Ching. Yeah. You know. It's, it's kind of crazy because we have to be careful what we say sometimes. It's, it kind of pisses me off because we can't. I mean, I'm, we're looking at facts. We're looking at a study, and we could say this with confidence, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's kind of crazy how 
in a month, something might change. And technically, those words that we said are not valid anymore. True. It just shows you how research and science like just evolves. Especially now with 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 the novel C nineteen, like things have a turn array of a few days, a few yeah. weeks. You know, before before it was like it takes months and not even months, like years for a new drug to reach a certain market. Even for like diseases like lupus, arthritis, things like that, those drugs take years of years of research to finally be considered or to be deemed safe. Now with the novel C19 is we're literally trying everything at the same time and we're trying, and we're literally just trying to release this to the public because that's the only way we're gonna find out if this works. Yeah. There's only so much you could do in, in a lab with, with cells. You actually gotta give it to a human and we don't have, or we don't have, we don't have the time no resources to kind of develop a sample group, you know, and a control group, and then we'll try to administer the medication for this 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 sample size for X amount of months because we don't we don't have the time. We have days, we have hours. Some of these patients have minutes, you know. So it so you gotta gotta do it. Exactly. Last thing I wanted to mention was I was kind of looking up Remdesivir and you know the fundings and things like that. It's interesting because according to this article that I found by a public citizen, we as American Americans have added, um, blank and I on the wording. <laughs> so we, we as Americans have contributed to $70.5 million into remdesivir for all these studies. And it's been around for a while. Like we think this drug just popped up for C19. Nope. It was used originally for hepatitis C treatment. And then it was redefined, reevaluated. They tried to do it for Ebola, and now they're using it for this, like you know, virus. So it's almost like you, you, you as a company develop the drug, and you're just testing it out on stuff, you know, to see mm-hmm. if it works. And we as Americans have gave money through the U.S. Army, Center of Disease Control, and the National Institute of Health. We all have gave money for this um, drug to be developed, which is formally known as. GS5734. That's a drug name. Mm-hmm. And we, we funded it, yet we have to pay so much money for it. And that's why it's like deeply immoral and politics and all that stuff, man. Yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, I believe Ramdenosphere was, was considered an orphan drug at one point. So a lot of times. What do you mean by orphan drug? So I don't want to, I'm not going to go into the whole de- detail of it. You guys can check out our other episode. But there's, you know how we have different kinds of diseases. You have those common ones, different kind of cancers that are that are common, like breast cancer. You got cardiovascular disease. There, are, you got heart failure, CHF. All those things that are kind of like mainstream diseases. Yeah. But then you have like these low key diseases that people don't really hear about because they don't affect a lot of people. But what are you just gonna leave them off to dry and be like, hey, well, you know, they don't. This disease only affects one percent of the population, so we're not gonna really worry worry about this disease. No, it's not how it works. So what happens is. Pharmaceutical companies talk to the government and say, hey, not a lot of people are dying from this, but people are dying from this disease. We're going to try and create a drug to fight this disease or to cure this disease. And the government says, fine, yeah, that's cool. What we'll do is if you're going to do, if you're going to try to find a cure for this disease, you're not going to make a lot of money off the bat for it. So we, and we understand as the government. So we're going to give you tax breaks. We're going to fund the research for you with taxpaying dollars. And then once you find if this works, then for X amount of years, you have a patent on it and you could sell it as you wish. It'll be your drug, but we'll kind of finance it because not a lot of people 
really need it, but it's still important enough to 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 manufacture. Yeah, and that's kind of how it is. So we as taxpayers fund these these companies to create drugs to combat these less known diseases because people are dying from these diseases and we got to do something about it, right? You can't just fucking leave them alone and just say, hey, sorry, we don't know what to do with, with this disease so we're just going to have to monitor right. you until you die. So that, that's kind of how Ram Dennisvir came, came to existence is we paid for it, their funding to help with hepatitis C, which then showed that it wasn't really effective. So I tried to use a medication on different uh, diseases, which is completely fine because, you know, instead of just give, giving up hope, you should try to figure out, hey, just because it doesn't help cure this disease, maybe it'll help fight something else. And that's kind of how what Matt brought up. We technically devoted 70.5 million tax dollars to Korean's medication, and now we're being required to pay 3,000 a treatment if if we need it. That's pretty wild to think about. Capitalism. Yeah. I'm glad for that explanation, mm-hmm. man. So orphan drugs, now we know what it is. And I think you, now you're going to go ham into the research of both remdesivir and both hydroxychloroquine yeah in a timely manner yeah i'll do a timely manner i'm not going to go into the whole like like the population and or like this i'm not going to go into each characteristic of each individual in the sample sizes but i'll give you like a recent breakdown and probably like a quick synopsis is i've looked at probably like 12 to 15 different research studies and literally they're very similar with one another and the main thing I got off of it is remdesivir and hydroxychloroquine both have been shown to be effective, but none of them have shown a benefit over the other. So they both work in different ways. They're different drugs. They do help with, COVID, with C19 in their own way, but one's not better than the other one. So I'm not sure why there's a giant push for one medication over the other one. The research literally shows that, hey, there's no point of picking sides. Yeah. So one sample that I looked at, or one study that I looked at with remdesivir, sorry, with remdesivir is one, it actually looked at macaque monkeys, and it was a small group. Only like six monkeys uh, were infected with, with the virus, and those six monkeys that were affected by the virus that were given remdesivir did show less respiratory disease, a reduce in virus replication, a decrease in viral loads and a reduced in pneumonia, which in all six of those compared to the control group of six, which didn't get anything, didn't didn't look as well as, as the, the sample group or the treatment group. So macaque monkeys um, did work very well on them. And it's interesting to note that at the end of the study, it said that all 12 monkeys were euthanized. You know, why did they kill them afterwards, man? Because you're not going to... Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe they should have kept them alive. I don't know if they were struggling to live. I'm not sure what the whole thing was. But they literally infected 12 monkeys with, with C19. And then they tried to do the, the study. And then eventually they just euthanized all of them. Damn. You know, it's pretty crazy how that works, man. Another one I looked at was actually a double-blind study. Um, looked at the effectiveness of remdesivir. And it showed a quicker recovery time. 11 days was recovery time from the treatment group versus 15 days with the non-treatment group, which is pretty significant four days, but the mortality was pretty drastic. So the mortality rate for the remdesivir group was 7.1 compared to 11.9 of the control group. Pretty, pretty legit. And that took actually 538 patients that got remdesivir and 521 got the placebo. Not pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. That's a lot of people, man. I, I, so just looking at this, it mm. seems pretty effective. Yeah. 
So I, there's links to all of them. The third one that I decided to talk about here, took a look at 53 patients. They were given remdesivir and the results were also promising in favor um, of remdesivir. So 17 out of 30 patients were ventilated. They were eventually extubated. That's not bad, 57%. You know, at hospital, it depends on time of the year, you might have a 50% extubation rate. But this is, I'm not counting the patients that come and flex that procedure and then they get extubated after surgery. I'm not, I'm not counting those. I'm talking about the critical ill where you had to emergently intubate. Those come off the vent, sometimes 50%. Sometimes you have those months where it's like 20%. Sometimes you feel like you can't get anybody off the fucking vent. And sometimes you just get everybody off. So it's, so that's, it's not bad, 57%, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, 25 patients were actually discharged on, after the course of the, the drug and seven patients died. So 13% of the patients died, which, you know, seven out of 53 patients, you know, isn't, isn't the worst thing in the world when you have a lot high mortality when somebody doesn't get anything. Yeah. You know, so that's pretty good. A lot of those studies were funded by Gilead. I think two of the three of the ones were funded by Gilead. The McCockle was funded by Gilead. And then one of, one of the other ones was also funded by, funded by Gilead. But that's just how, how it is when you have a novel virus and you know, somebody's got to fund this stuff. Exactly. So then, yeah, I took e- a look at hydroxychloroquine. Even when I was looking at studies myself, like I looked at the contributors and it was like, you know, Bill Gates Foundation, all this stuff. And, you know, people are very skeptical nowadays of where you're getting your research. So I try to kind of find the best. We try to look at the best stuff. Mm. We say stuff that's being very broad. But when, when we look at research studies... Of course, the gold standard would be a double control placebo or a meta-analysis study, which is a combination of studies that scientists are reviewing. When it comes to reviewing these drugs, we just don't have enough studies to actually do a meta-analysis. I think you looked at one, correct, from France? Uh, I think a French one was regarding hydroxychloroquine. Okay. So you got to talk about it now. Yeah. Yeah. So hydroxychloroquine got a lot of hate when it first came out because of all of the cardiac um, issues that it, that it provoked. But when it's combined with azithromycin, like the cardiac issues like spreadly go away. So studies that I looked at is not only hydroxychloroquine, but also with azithromycin, that's standard of care now. And yeah, one study that I looked at took 1,000 patients, mean age was 44, and they were giving the hydroxychloroquine with, with azithromycin as treatment for COVID-19. And they actually came out of those 1,061 patients, 973 patients survived C19. That's like 95%. That's, that's almost all of them, yeah. yeah. That's pretty well. That's a pretty good sample size. So a poor clinical outcome was observed in 46 patients and eight of them died. And five are still in the hospital according to this when this research was done. I think this research study was done. It was either, I remember an M, so I don't know if it was March or May, but still, even if those five patients died that are still hospitalized, you know, that's still less than like 2% mortality rate and that um, and hydroxychloroquine and, and um, azithromycin. Yeah, so that's, that study is, is, is that's an observational study, but it worked for, for, for them. And another study they looked at, it actually looked at 412 people. They were given hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. And this is pretty, pretty staggering results as well. So the need for hospitalization was 1.9% in a treatment group compared to 5.4 in a control. So how this study was conducted was this was through telehealth, basically. So people were, weren't were tested for COVID-19. They were just looking at their symptoms. So if they had COVID-19 symptom, damn, I keep saying that word, C-19 symptoms, 
then the physician would decide, are these symptoms worth prescribing hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin? So they were kind of doing it almost prophylactically. Okay. Because people did not get tested. And the 412 that got hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, their hospitalization rate was 1.9% compared to 5.4 in a group that did not get any kind of medication. So they split this group is there was over 600 people in, in this group. The 412 that got the medications were the ones that wanted the medication. The 224 refused medications. Okay. So that's how they divided, which is pretty crazy. And yeah, and it showed to work as well. It's almost prophylactically before even they got tested. Yeah. That, so both of them show pretty impressive yeah. results. So these yeah. results show that early use of hydroxychloroquine reduces hospitalization need. So maybe we should be taking like prophylactically. Yeah. And a third one, because I like to keep it even, so if I do three for Ramdanis fear, I like to do three for um, hydroxychloroquine as well. Fair enough. You know? uh, this one, a little bit smaller sample size, a uh, sample of 36 people, 20 were treated with hydroxychloroquine and 16 were the control. Nothing huge, but to summarize the results, uh, post-inclusion day six, 70% of the patients that are receiving hydroxychloroquine were virologically cured compared to 12.5 in a control group. And eventually, the people that got the hydroxychloroquine, 100% of those, all the 20 that got it, were they had a viral load that was undetectable or a viral load that was safe enough for them to not get the infection or not not suffer any of the signs and symptoms of the infection. Infection, interesting. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. And hydroxychloroquine has the benefit of being out in the market longer, so there's going to be more, more research to look at. Yeah, not only that, but if it's $37 for 100 pills, mm. we have the ability to test people and show its effectiveness. Yeah. But who knows what the um, investments in um, remdesivir mm. is with like the government. And if there is an investment, of course, there's going to be a conflict of interest on why they prefer one or the other. And that's where you have to kind of take things with a grain of salt and look at the research and formulate your own opinions and not just looking at look at a freaking headliner that says this drug doesn't work mm. and we have to discredit everything. And that's what's happening nowadays is just we're so overloaded on information. We're just like freaking reading headlines and headlines all of a sudden are becoming news and, fact. and becoming facts without even digging into it. There was numerous times that me and Peter looked at something on Reddit, laughed at it for a second, took like two, three minutes to do a couple of Google searches and then we're just like, all right, man, this is a hunk of shit. Mm -hmm. This is basically debunked, you know? So just, yeah, take it with a grain of salt based on our opinion, which I would trust. But of course, <laughs> do your own research. Yeah. Actually, don't use our opinion. Don't yeah. use our opinion at all. Just look it up yourself. Yeah. yeah. But before we go any further, I just want to, I include one more article here. Because this was the meta-analysis that, that you're talking about. And this examined different articles and different research studies regarding hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir, and it concluded that both hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir were shown to inhibit the in vitro growth of, of C19. So if you have petri dishes and you have cells affected with the virus, both medications work on those cells. And it also showed that hydroxychloroquine co-administered with zithromycin provides a virological cure and low mortality rate with no cardiac toxicity. Damn. And the remdesivir shortens time to recovery, but without any significant mortality benefit. Those might change, but this literally just shows that 
that both the drugs currently are effective for it. And there's no need to push one over the other. Yeah. I think we concluded that. Yeah. Nail on the hammer. I think we're almost done here. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say, too, is um, we're, we might be banning TikTok. So oh. That's another big thing there, mm. which is side-side news, I guess. But we're kind of finally saying, hey, this is a breach to national security. They got an app that's opening and downloading things and sending information to wherever the case mm. might be without any, you know. So if you want to see um, 16-year-old girls dance, you can join, join a planar with Bill Clinton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was that was a good meme. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny meme. Hopefully, we don't get taken out for saying yeah. that, but it's funny. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for staying here. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is a C19 special. Yeah, a little bit of a overload there with um, information and research, but that's what that's what we're here for. Drastic times call for drastic measures. I think we did it pretty good because at the beginning we kind of laughed a little bit, got people in the mood, and then we kind of sponged them down with the freaking yeah. info. So, yeah. all right, guys. Yeah, we'll provide all the links for you for the studies, guys. Have a great day. Have a beautiful day, whatever day it is. So, guys. You guys.